congregation, open your Bibles with me and turn to Psalm 130. Psalm 130, we'll be reading that great psalm as well as the one that follows, 131. And then we'll turn to the Gospels and read the passage that we meditated on before the call to worship. But as you're able, congregation, stand for the reading of God's Word. As we give our attention to Psalm 130. It's a song of ascents. Out of the depths, I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy. And with Him is abundant redemption. And He shall redeem Israel from all His iniquities. As we turn to Psalm 131, we should note that the heart that's cultivated through the gospel in Psalm 130 is manifested in humility and gentleness and meekness in Psalm 131 as the fit response. Again, a song of ascents, this of David. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. And then turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, verse 25, reading to the end of the chapter, Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good. In your sight, all things have been delivered to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father, nor does anyone know the father except the son and the one to whom the son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest. For your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word of the living God and finally on to our sermon text in Galatians 5, where once again 
we're reminded that the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. The word of the living God. Let's pray. O Lord, set your blessing upon the word as it's preached this morning. We pray, O Lord, that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds. In light of the mercies of God, that we would offer ourselves living sacrifices. As that fitting response to having been delivered from the depths of darkness and despair, the hopelessness that comes from living in the world without God, hating God and one another by nature. Oh Lord, we pray that you would renew us after the image of the last Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ, perfect, holy, righteous in all of his ways. Father, that you would purpose to make us more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. It is too much for us that you have pledged to do it is beyond our comprehension. The way that you accomplish that, Lord, through your word and gracious spirit. Oh, Lord, we thank you for such means. We pray, Father, now that you would be gracious to us, both the one who speaks and those who hear that we might treasure up these things in our hearts, that we might glorify, honor, and enjoy you with our every breath. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Be seated. On the realm of what we might call common grace, there are many uses for an analysis of one's personality. Now, some of you have heard me um, wax not so eloquent about this and uh, maybe not so charitable either, Uh, but I'm going to try to be more charitable. There's uh, a place for these types of things. We do well, for instance, in the business world to understand the people that we're working with to the extent that we are able to understand them, the way they're wired, the way they operate, the way they think, why they do what they do, how they're driven. These can be great advantages to us. It can also be an advantage in the home, in our relationships in general within the body of Christ, even with our neighbors. But one thing that tends to happen with the analysis of personality is that this analysis gets imported into our spiritual life in a rather one-for-one kind of a way. And here's what I mean. When we come to the fruit of the Spirit, this aspect of gentleness or meekness, we can sometimes think from the very get-go, oh, I know who needs to hear this sermon. Now, we do that anyway uh, with a variety of different sermon topics. But this one in particular... Uh, has a very great temptation, doesn't it? Because we can easily reason within our own minds that this sermon is not really for us because we're not a hothead. We're not the one that's always lashing out at people or uh, always causing problems for people or being impatient with people or too gruff. Uh, We don't have that outward disposition. And so what could we possibly glean from a sermon on gentleness or meekness? That's for a different personality type altogether, the one that actually struggles with such things. Now, I trust you see the problem with that. The problem with that is that those outbursts and those things that characterize perhaps the hothead or the impatient person, the gruff person, the prickly person, uh, those are all reflections of the heart. 
It is, after all, out of the heart that the mouth speaks. Now, when we think about this, you might still reason and say, well, see, I don't normally tend to that outward behavior, and so there must not be a problem in my heart. And here's the bad news. The bad news is that if by personality you are not wired to lash out, you are not wired to be overly harsh, you are not wired to be overly impatient or to lack gentleness, nonetheless, it is because you do a very studied and good job of hiding it in the recesses of your heart. Is there really anyone who's going to sit here of any personality type whatsoever and say, I do not have a tempest in my heart that when I am provoked, I lash out internally. Now, the lashing out doesn't have to be external, but the thoughts that I think, the way that I look down my nose at people, the pride that wells up in my heart is the very antithesis of this biblical idea of gentleness or meekness. So to put it a different way, beloved, and maybe with John Owen, as he talked about the mortifying or putting to death of sin, he warned the church in his little book on the mortification of sin not to equate things that you are naturally better at by personality with the putting off of sin. And we could encourage the exact same thing here as we approach the fruit of the Spirit in this aspect of gentleness or meekness. What is gentleness? It's a a loaded Greek term, actually. Uh, And in one sense, it's a tad bit misleading. Kindness, this aspect we've already dealt with earlier in our study, is in one sense more gentle, the way we understand the word gentle, than the word here. So, Gentle, not necessarily as opposed to harsh. And we'll see some nuances of this word as we look at the Greek words and how they're used throughout Scripture. But two related terms uh, here, gentleness, meekness, come from the same Greek root. So the first term we find here in Galatians 5.23, it's our aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, which we've translated as gentleness. We could easily translate Meekness. The second word is found in the Sermon on the Mount. The meek shall inherit the earth. Now, again, two very much related terms. They share the same root in Greek, and they are applied within context in a very, very similar way. And so we'll look at them together. But we want to do four things this morning as we jump right into it. We want to unpack the biblical significance and the practical implications of what it is to live a life of gentleness and meekness. And we want to do this through four different perspectives. One, we want to survey meekness. We're going to take a survey of biblical passages. We've been doing this throughout our studies. Secondly, we want to define meekness or gentleness. What is it actually? We want to illustrate it Thirdly, and then finally, we want to see the implications of it. What does a life of meekness or gentleness actually look like? And so these four things, beginning, first of all, with meekness surveyed. This is a survey of biblical usage. Now, first, we want to look at this word that is actually the one used in our text and see uh, throughout the New Testament, especially how this term is used. 
Take, for instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 21. You know, Paul is dealing with disciplinary matters within the church of Corinth that had its factions, that had its immorality in abundance. And Paul writes, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of, here's our word, gentleness? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, I, Paul, myself entreat you. How does he entreat them? By the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am humble when face to face with you, but rather sarcastically, he says, because this is what his enemies were saying, but bold towards you when I am away. And you see what he says. He's talking about his conduct toward them, influenced by the very meekness of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Or Galatians chapter 6. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. That means literally to set the bone that is broken. How do you do that? In a spirit of, here's our word again, gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And then Ephesians 4, verses 1 and 2. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And what's that going to look like? What's a calling worthy of the call? Well, it looks something like this. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And Paul goes on from there. Or a similar passage in Colossians 3, the classic put on and put off text. Verse 12, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, here's our word, meekness and patience. And you can see the English translations take the same word that we have in the fruit of the Spirit and sometimes translate gentleness and sometimes as meekness. Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 26, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And of course, this a word to the elders. God may, on the basis of this, he may use this manner of our conduct to do what? Well, He says, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And then Titus 3, verses 1 through 3, remind them, be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid, here it is again, quarreling, to be gentle. And you can see that that meekness, that gentleness is put in contrast to this quarrelsome kind of attitude. To show perfect courtesy toward all people. Why? For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. And of course, from that you get one of the great but gods in all of the Bible. 
James 1.21 as we seek to close out our survey of the first term at least. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Here we have meekness with regard to the word of God as we receive it. James 3. Now with regard to wisdom, who is wise and understanding among you, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And finally, 1 Peter chapter 3. And this may have been one of the passages that actually came to your mind. This is the the great apologetics passage and sometimes ignored in the great apologetics passage is the manner of the apologist. And we'll let Peter speak for himself in that regard. But he says, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, You'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Okay, now that's what we are to do. Be always ready to apologize. And children, not in the sense of, I'm really sorry for this, but a defense of that which is the truth. But now the manner of it. How is it that we are to do that? To be ready to defend the faith. We are to do it, Peter says, with gentleness. This is our word. And respect. Having a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who, rev- who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. All right, that's the word in its various usage in the New Testament that we find in the fruit of the Spirit, which is gentleness or meekness. But now we said we've got a related term. shares the same Greek root, and that is what we find in Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now let's look just at a couple examples of uh, this term here in the Scriptures. And now we start in the Old Testament. This is significant. Zephaniah of all places, chapter 3. Zephaniah 3.12, now in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, we have two words here that will sound very, very familiar to your ears, and then we'll look at why. Zephaniah 3, verse 12, but I will leave in your midst a people, and here's the same word as in the Sermon on the Mount, meek, a people, translated here in Zechariah 3, humble and lowly. Now those two words, meekness, lowliness, gentleness, are put together here in in Zechariah, rather Zephaniah chapter 3. And where do we see that in the New Testament? Well, in Matthew chapter 11. You see, we're told here that the people of God in the New Covenant shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. And then in verse 17... We read of the source of our meekness. Now, speaking of the source of our meekness, we fast forward to Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. We've already read it, and I won't go back and read the preface, which is uh, verses 25 through 27, but picking up at verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And here comes our word. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. 
And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What an incredible invitation issuing forth from the very heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. For sinners, for rebels, for wretches. If you're here today and you're apart from Christ, you don't know or believe in the Savior, you've not turned from your sins and embraced Him as the only one that can provide any kind of covering for your sins. If your sins are not forgiven in Him, if you're trying to find some other way to God, this is the only way. This is very similar to Jesus' declaration that He's the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Him. This is the rest giver. This is the one that you can lay your burden down, all your weariness, all your rebellion against God, all your sinfulness. So if you are here this morning, you are apart from Christ, take heed even as we survey the uses of this term, gentleness and meekness. Come and repent of your sins. Come and believe on the Savior. Matthew 21. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. You remember triumphal entry? Your king is coming to you, humble. There's the word from the Sermon on the Mount. Mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And of course, this is in fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. And finally, closing out the survey here of our second and very much related term, 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4. Speaking to our ladies here, but of course the principle applies uh, directly across the board. Do not let your adorning, Peter suggests, be merely external. Well, then how do I properly adorn myself? Well, Peter continues in verse 4, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty Here's our word of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. That's our survey. Now for definition. What do we do with all these various usage of these two terms that are related, sharing the same Greek root? Well, let's give some definition. First of all, Sinclair Ferguson defines meekness or gentleness this way. He says it's a spirit of patient submission and humility before all providences. Now, do you see where Ferguson begins? He begins with meekness and gentleness in the heart before the face of God, and specifically our response to His providence. Patient submission and humility before all providences. And now you can see why this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, nobody's getting a pass. Because this applies equally, although in different ways, to every single one of us. Who among us would say that we have a spirit of patient submission and humility before, here's the key word, all providences? Ferguson concludes his brief definition with this. It is produced by abdication or the laying aside of personal rights and manifesting itself in a spirit of gentleness. A.W. Pink wrote, Meekness 
is not only the antithesis, or children, opposite of pride, but of stubbornness, fierceness, vengefulness, meekness is the opposite of self-will toward God and of ill-will toward men. Matthew Henry, the meek are those who quietly submit themselves before God to His Word, to His rod, who follow His directions and comply with His designs and are gentle toward men. Dr. Piper further seeks to fill in the meaning of this term, or these two terms together. Meekness, he writes, is the attitude that humbles oneself under God's Word and before one's neighbor. The attitude expressed by Isaiah, this was our call to worship this morning, but to this one I will look, to him who is humble and of contrite spirit, who trembles at my word. And he concludes, we are to submit to the will of God expressed in His word and the will of God which is worked out in His providence. And he references our earlier psalm, Psalm 131, that we are to still and quiet our hearts like the weaned child with its mother before God and by implication with one another. And so we see the design of God in this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is that there is a Godward orientation as with all the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And that Godward aspect is to be then taken into our hearts and reflected outward in our conduct, including our thinking about one another. We can't start with relationships with each other. We've got to get there, but we need to start with our attitude, our heart, before our great God. We need to learn, first and foremost, to submit, submit patiently under all providences. So there's an element here of self-denial. There's an element of Godward submission that needs to be in place before we can ever rightly exercise gentleness and meekness in our relationships with one another. And of course, where the rubber meets the road here as we think about our response to God's providence is, do we really believe that God ordains whatsoever comes to pass? And if we do, we will have a building block upon which to build faith in God during the midst of whatever trials and difficulties may come. But then thirdly, beloved, we have the illustration of meekness, and specifically with two characters from the pages of Holy Scripture. This won't surprise you. Who was the meekest man alive? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, how is it that Moses, writing the five books, can comment about himself that he's the meekest man on the earth? That's a debate for another afternoon, but suffice to say, the Scripture says it. It's true. Moses was the meekest man of his day. And then, of course, we'll look at the Lord Jesus Christ, that one greater in every possible way than Moses. Now, Moses, of course, the meekest man alive, but we might ask the question, is that always the way Moses was? 
You know, he was probably born meek, right? That's why he was the meekest man alive. He just had this innate characteristic that he fostered his whole life. No, of course not. You remember Moses, that guy who gets involved in a dispute and kills an Egyptian in the midst of dispute? Contrast with his life in the wilderness. You know, he cries out to the Lord on behalf of the people of God, blot me out of the book of life. And you see a picture beautifully of the mediator standing in the place of sin-stricken people. Christ here is foretold in the meekness of Moses. But you see it reflected in his not demanding of his rights, though certainly for Moses in the wilderness and the wanderings of the people had to be tempting at every point. But think about, for one example, think about how he deals with Miriam after she and Aaron basically seek to rebel against him and usurp his God-given authority. Do you remember that? Now, it might do us some good to think about when we have our rights trampled on and we have our authority usurped, whether it's in the home or in the church or any other context. How do we respond? How did Moses respond? This is quite amazing. He intercedes. He, He cries to the Lord in prayer for Aaron and for Miriam, who had been stricken with leprosy. And the Lord hears his meek and humble petition. But we can say here that, taking Moses' example, that meekness breeds in us a gentleness with respect to others. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes we outwardly will do the right thing, or at least the right-looking thing, but from a heart that's really opposed to it. And you could very much see, although I don't think this is the case, but you could see that if you or I were in Moses' situation with respect to the, the rebellion of Miriam and Aaron, that maybe in his heart he's thinking, I know the right thing to do is to pray for them. That, that, that will make me look pious for the onlooking Israelites. But you know what? They get everything they deserve. Now again, I don't think that was Moses' heart. I think he was truly meek in this regard before the face of God. But it illustrates, I think, some of the temptation that we have. That perhaps we would do the right thing outwardly towards somebody that opposes us or usurps us or tramples on our rights. But, but inside, what's going on? In my heart, how am I thinking? What, what are the thoughts of my inmost being with regard to these kind of difficulties. Well, this, of course, gets us to look at Christ. Moses, after all, points us to the Savior and his meekness. And this characteristic is highlighted as he's riding in triumphantly on the donkey in all meekness and lowliness and humility. He's being worshipped as the king and at the same time described as one who is utterly abased. After all, humiliation is the pathway to exaltation and we see the savior meek in different ways as well our, our key text matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30 where jesus again i remind you says i am meek and lowly of heart and you will find rest at the cross he is utterly meek he is silent as the lamb is for slaughter it's not weakness you see it's not that 
he couldn't have done something. You remember his language. He could have summoned 12 legions of angels. But in his meekness, he remains silent. It's not because he has no power. It is because he brings himself under the control of this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit in order to fulfill all righteousness. He laid aside all of his rights in order that I might receive blessings that I could never, ever deserve. You think about the description of Christ in Philippians chapter 2. You see here in his incarnation, his coming down out of heaven to take on our flesh, ultimate condescension, ultimate humiliation. He went from heaven to earth. He went from the bliss of being worshipped, world without end by the angels, and he takes on our flesh and he's subject to all of our weakness and limitations, yet without sin. We see in our Savior the perfection of meekness and gentleness. Again, as the pathway to exaltation. Sinclair Ferguson commenting on these two characters writes this Moses and Christ. There are two men in Scripture characterized by meekness. Numbers 12 3 is Moses. But of course, Moses was not so by nature. Remember, how he killed the Egyptian. He was self-willed to the hilt. God took him and taught him in the backside of the desert as a nobody. This shaped him and fashioned him into a man conscious that he was a beggar before God and a mourner over sin. And beloved, let me just stop there. Is this your heart? Is this what you understand about yourself? You are a beggar before God by nature and one who mourns over his or her sin. He continues, in the following 40 years, he would accept the most grievous providences, especially from God's stiff-necked people. And he prays, as we've seen, blot me out of the book. But there's one greater than Moses, who was absolutely, perfectly meek. He did not count equality with God, something to be used for his advantage. He laid it aside, taking on our flesh. He washed the dirty feet of his sinful disciples. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. He kept silent. He would not break a bruised reed. Almost the only personal characteristic he drew attention to in his own character was his meekness. Come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. For I am meek and lowly of heart. Later he rode into Jerusalem, meek and lowly, riding on a donkey. King Jesus, the meek one, who laid aside all of his rights and submitted his life to all the harsh providences that come through the hands of wicked men, summoning some of these same wicked men to come with him because he is so meek. Paul Use the meekness of Christ in appealing to the most obstinate. I appeal to you, he writes, by the meekness and gentleness of Jesus. And Ferguson concludes, when the child of God is with Jesus, he becomes meek. A different author priming us for our fourth and final point of application writes this, A proper sense of our own sin 
will cause us to handle with care the weak, the sorrowing, or even difficult sinners around us. We need that broken and contrite heart that God will not despise. To know the tender way that God has dealt with our sin. And to believe the unchanging reality of our justification and right standing before the judge will give us what we need to deal carefully and compassionately and gently with others. And then Jonathan Edwards puts it very well when he says that the Christian who is touched by his need and infirmity has the finest comfort but the softest heart, richer than others, but poorest of all in spirit. He's the tallest and strongest saint, but the least and tenderest child among them. And you can see something of the seeming paradox of meekness, and yet it's only an apparent paradox. These things reside perfectly within the heart of Jesus Christ for sinners on the earth. Well, finally, we've already begun to peck away at the implications of this meekness or gentleness, but we have a number of applications that we could draw from these things. How then shall we live a life that is characterized by meekness and gentleness? Well, first of all, with Martin Lloyd-Jones, we should acknowledge that the meek, the truly meek, are teachable. Lloyd-Jones wrote, we should have such a poor opinion of ourselves and our capacities that we are ready to listen to others. Now, he doesn't mean by that to drum up some sort of false humility where you really think you're better than everybody else, but you appear as though you think the opposite. No, he's actually saying meekness is defined by and shown forth by this poverty of spirit. The fact that I have a poor opinion of myself, not woe is me, not I'm the worst sinner in the universe. I can't imagine that anybody would commit sin besides me. No, not that, but a realistic view of self. I am a wretched sinner by nature, and remaining sin in me is vile and ready to break out at any moment but for the grace of God. This is what gives us genuine humility, meekness, gentleness in our hearts and toward one another. And we take the lead of Jesus Christ in this. We need to remember that our goal is to do, as it was Christ's ultimate goal, to do only that which He saw and heard from His Father. For us, that means that by the Spirit, in our union with Christ, we are to live by whatsoever proceeds forth out of the mouth of God. Secondly, very much related to this, it could have been 1B, I suppose, but secondly, the meek receive correction. And this hurts. This hurts. It hurts for elders. It hurts for parents. It hurts for children. It hurts us in our relationships when we consider this question, what is your response to rebuke or correction? No matter how gently it's couched, no matter how humbly it's presented, 
we all can attest the recoil of our hearts when we are corrected in any way, shape, or form and in any context by literally any person. Now, if you're scrounging for examples in your own life, when was the last time somebody sought to rebuke or correct you about your parenting? Yeah, every parent in the room should be smiling. I mean, unless it's never happened to you, and if so, you're, you're in for a real treat when it does. Uh, but this is one thing that reveals a lack of Christ-centered meekness is when we are, yes, in general, corrected or rebuked, but in areas where we are more sensitive and prone to be upset, the rebuke of our children with respect to parents. Parents, when uh, you have to rebuke your children, your children are very much wired with the remnant of sin in this way. Now, it looks a little different to them sometimes. And parents, you see it probably the most often when you utter the little two-letter word. No. Now, let me turn it from parents to children. Children, when you hear the word no, what's going on in your heart? When your parents say that word, when someone in authority over you says that word, and we can broaden this, you're already doing it. We're not just talking about children, are we? We're talking about children of our Heavenly Father. When providence frowns on you, when difficulty comes, when relationships go sour, what about you? When the Lord speaks His proverbial providential no to you, how do you respond? The meek receive correction. Thirdly, the meek are gentle with others, following the example of our Savior. And here, we could wish to have more time to unpack Isaiah 42, but that that beautiful text where prophesying of Christ, the humble suffering servant who would give his life for ours, he is described as one who would not break the bruised reed, nor quench the smoking flax. And here, this is just the meekness and gentleness of our Savior oozing forth from the text. One commentator writes this, Dear sinner, you have every reason to go to gentle Jesus Christ today. And for all your harshness, your outbursts of anger, fits of rage, callousness in your heart, He will bring you to Himself. And having you, He will do something remarkable. He will conform you. He will take a bruised reed and make it a mighty cedar. He will fan into flame the faint flame that is the Spirit's work in your heart. Now how do we connect this with our meekness and gentleness toward others? He concludes, and you will become holy as He is holy. Loving as He is loving. And gentle as He is gentle. Fourthly, the meek acknowledge they have no grounds to boast. Why not? Because everything they have is given to them from the Lord. This is humility 101. This produces meekness in the hearts of God's people, acknowledging humbly that I have nothing except that which I have received from the Lord. No good dwells in me. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Fifthly, the meek are ready to serve. 
And here we see yet another application to the principle of self-denial. We've been studying it in our men's meetings from Calvin's little book on the Christian life. But the meek are ready to serve. They deny themselves for the good of the body. How can they do that? Because they've been crucified with Christ. They no longer live, but Christ lives in and through them. And so meekness will come out in our readiness to serve one another. Sixthly, the meek stand in awe of God's revelation and are eager to receive His life-giving word. And this is that heartbeat of Isaiah 66, that one who is of a lowly and contrite spirit. How is it reflected? He trembles at the word of God. He trembles at the presence of God. And again, this is not some sort of servile fear, but this is the perfect blend of reverence and awe and love and gratitude. This fear of the Lord, we might say, we stand in awe of the revelation of God, His word, and are eager to receive that word. And finally, beloved number seven, and we've done this, I believe, in every sermon, we've got to end in the proper place, don't we? What is the purpose of the meekness of Christ perfectly and our meekness as we're being conformed more and more into his likeness? What is God aiming at and what will he fully and finally accomplish the meek fix their eyes on the promise we've been given that promise from jesus christ in matthew 11 already i will give you rest now there's a whole biblical theology that we could jump into on rest and we're at the end of the sermon so that would be unwise but those of you that know that theology of rest know that it's pointing to ultimate rest in Christ, world without end. And as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, the meek shall inherit the earth. Now we have to be careful, don't we? We don't want to misapply this and say, oh, well, the more meek I am, the more likely to inherit the earth. No, this is not some pay for benefits program. This is united to Jesus Christ, blessed in God's gracious covenant, we will manifest the fruit of the Spirit, including this aspect of meekness and gentleness. And as such, we are those who will inherit the earth. And to take it a step further, we could even say we are the ones who have been promised new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Jim Elliot famously wrote, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to keep that which he cannot lose. And that principle is put on display biblically. And we close with Revelation 7. This speaks of those who have come out of the tribulation, and again, don't understand that in our modern perspective on the end times, but rather as all of those including John, who said he was a fellow servant in the tribulation. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear 
from their eyes. Beloved, may the Lord cultivate in us meekness with regard to God, His Word, His will, His providence. And may that cultivation of this fruit issue forth in the way that we think about one another, the way that we cultivate a heart of charity and love and compassion and gentleness and mercy toward each other. May the Lord bless in the church now and forevermore for the glory of his great name. Let's pray. Father, we come to you so thankful for the perfection of Jesus Christ, meekness and gentleness. We confess before you that if this was the only command in all of the Bible, that we ought to have a heart of meekness, that, Lord, we would be worthy of everlasting judgment because none among us could ever say that we have perfectly obeyed this command to meekness and gentleness. Lord, times without number, we have sinned against you. Our hearts have been lifted up. They've been proud. We've looked down our noses at one another. We have bucked at your providence. We have refused to humbly receive from your hand that which comes to us from our loving Heavenly Father. That which you have told us you intend to work for our good. Lord, how many times have we received it as though it came from the hand of one who intended us harm? Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us that you would indeed cultivate this aspect of the fruit by the power of your Spirit. In our union with Jesus Christ, Lord, make us meek as our Savior. Teach us, O Lord, if we pray these things in Jesus' name.